Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. And as the train pulls out of the station, the boat leaves the dock, the plane backs up from the... uh, What is that called again? The gangway? No, is it the gangway? Do they still call it a gangway? That big ramp thing that you go up. Or we can make you walk the tarmac. We'll make it more difficult. At any rate, (laughs) we're moving somewhere as we welcome you to the Thursday edition of Lifeline. Final day in September, whether you like it or not. We are moving into the final quarter of 2021. And we got a good program lined up for you tonight. Lots going on in the world of news, so we'll get into some of that for you a little bit later, later on. We'll also spend some time tonight with our friend Dr. Greg Jantz, who is one of the, the leading mental health experts in the nation. Going to help us talk through the issue of COVID grief. There's been so much loss in this country, whether it's loss of human life, friends, family, spouses, loss of freedoms, loss of the familiar. How do you get over uh, dealing with this? How do you learn to process the grief? Dr. Greg Jans will join us for that discussion coming up later on in our first hour this evening. One of the other big topics making news of late, of course, is what's going on within public education. And we're finding in the COVID environment with so much learning remotely and so forth that parents are being exposed to more of the content that their children are exposed to than more than ever so than ever before and some parents are not too pleased and others feel as if parents have no say so it witness for example the fact that earlier this week during a virginia gubernatorial debate former dnc chair terry mcauliffe made an outrageous claim he said and i'm quoting i don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach close quote wait what really i mean Yes, they're educated, they're experienced, they're prepared to train young men's and young women's minds, as they should be. But don't parents have a say-so in what their children are being taught? I think most parents would argue yes. Let's get some insights. Lindsay Kernuth joins us. She is with the Heritage Action um, organization and uh, Lindsay, we appreciate your time today. This is this is pretty outrageous to hear uh, a gubernatorial candidate at any level make uh, such a remark that parents basically should not uh, not be concerned with what their children are being taught. That's pretty dangerous, isn't it? It's definitely dangerous. And thank you so much for having me tonight. Um, but what's most concerning about this is how really out of touch McAuliffe really is with many of his Virginians. There's uh, many of his constituents that he hopes to serve. In Loudoun County, Virginia, it's really been really the the point where this critical race theory discussion has been going on. And it's it's where parents are coming back and they're they're saying, Hey, I don't I don't know what you're teaching my kids and I don't I don't know if I like it. I, I want some more information. I want my voice to be heard at the school board, which is completely within their right to do so. Um, but that's happening in Loudoun County, that's also in Fairfax County, Virginia. That that's across Virginia and honestly it's it's happening all over the country on the local level. So to hear Mr. McAuliffe kind of speak that way and disregard parents and parents' rights is very upsetting. It is. And, you know, I think we need to be mindful the children belong to the parents. 
The parents are ultimately responsible for the children. The parents are also footing the bill. They're paying the taxes that provide for the education. Doesn't it seem to rights that the parents, at the very least, should be fully aware of what is contained in the curricula, particularly, Lindsay, I think in a day and an age when there has been such a significant shift from the so-called three R's uh, to not just social studies, social science, but social experimentation. Uh, we're finding almost as if the public school system, at least in some municipalities, is almost sort of a, a proving ground or a testing ground uh, for the liberal agenda. And I think every parent should be not only very disturbed by all of this, but that sense of being sort of shut out of the process. I mean, it it seems to me to be almost Orwellian to suggest that parents should just turn their kids over to uh, a, a, a government institution. And when we're done with them, they'll turn them back over to you. What? I, I think you're completely right on the money there. It's, I think really children are getting lost in this, this debate when they're talking about teachers can can teach whatever they want, but parents are really looking out for their kids, and parents want the best for their children and their education. That's what school is all about. That's what this debate should be about. It's, so to see the left really use this opportunity and use this, this children, really, to push their agenda, to push this critical race theory ideology onto them is, is, is really scary to see. This is something that they're hoping to start young, to indoctrinate them with leftist ideas. And I know I don't like using that term lightly, but, but that's really what's happening here. This is something that's going on across the U.S. And these ideas aren't simply um, teaching people about the whole history or teaching people, kids about slavery. They're teaching kids to treat each other differently based on the color of their skin. That's, that's really what CRT is about. It's about dividing these kids based on race. If, if you have a young boy who's white, he's he's taught that he's born an oppressor. And if you have a little girl that's black, she's taught that she can't succeed because of the color of their skin. So that's just so appalling to hear about. These examples are, are everywhere in the news right now. And and CRT is something that we're actively fighting back against and hoping to, to keep their right to know what their kids are being taught in schools. Well, and we want to teach our kids history. We want to teach them that history, even though it may not always be necessarily uh, flattering uh, to our forefathers. Uh, We also want to teach our children uh, the world of possible and to encourage them to achieve and to excel and that the sky is the limit. That certainly was the ideals that I was raised with. And that sense of partnership. And, you know, there are some schools and some districts that very much focus on a partnership between parents and teachers in educating children. But there are others that sort of, as we hear here in the example of Terry McAuliffe, suggesting that parents should do nothing more than drop them off and pick them up and make sure you pay your taxes on time. It is very frightening. And sadly, as we're seeing a push towards some of this curricula, um, there is a scant amount of evidence out there to demonstrate that any sense of respect for partnership, let alone informing parents as to what is being instructed, what's part of the curricula, it almost makes you feel as if there's an agenda here and they're going out of their way, at least in some cases, to hide it. I, I think you're completely right as well. I mean, this is something that is really coming from the top down when it comes to the teachers' unions and what they are telling school districts to teach children. This is coming from the leaders at the National Educators Association um, and other various teachers groups. They're telling them, this is how we can talk about critical race theory and talk about these ideas 
this is how we can kind of cover it up and say different words like equity training or diversity inclusion training, something different. But this is coming from the top, and thank goodness for parents. They're really asking their school boards. They're going to the school board and saying, where is the money being spent? How is this? Um, how is our taxpayer dollars being used to advance their children's education to help them learn and grow, like you mentioned? And in some cases, they're looking through the documents that they requested, and, and it shows that they're spending money on CRT theorists that are teaching teachers to talk about history in this, this divisive way and talk about wokeness and talk about how race is the only important thing in life and, and so on. So this is something that's coming from the top down, like I mentioned, and it's great to see parents across the country really come together, stand up. They're forming, they're forming different groups on the local level. It's really a grassroots movement, and, and it's happening in districts across the U.S., which is so encouraging to see. And, you know, it, it's fair that parents show up at school board meetings and ask questions. I, I would be, um, I, I think, amiss if I didn't remind you as you're seeking to get better understanding of the totality of the nature of the curricula, be kind, be polite. Um, we've seen an ever-increasing degree, I think, of uh, some parents who go in angry and stay angry. They go in at a 10 and they leave at a 20, you know. <laughs> And you're, you're not going to get anywhere. You're not going to be heard if you're screaming and yelling or if you're quoting false information. So do your homework and then go in in a reasonable tone and have that discussion. And then if you don't get results, if you don't get the information that you seek or you feel as if the content is being of the curricula is being skewed, we've got a wonderful weapon available to us. It's called the power of the vote. And uh, maybe in some of these cases, we need to see changes on school boards and uh, people of, of, uh, of faith and, and people of good conscience uh, stepping up to the plate and saying, you know what, uh, it needs a different direction, and I think I can provide that kind of different direction. We need to be fully participatory in the educational process, because if we don't, we're about to lose a whole generation. Lindsay Kernuti, we appreciate your time today, Lindsay, with Heritage Action. She is press secretary there. More information available, by the way, on the web at saveourschools.com. That's saveourschools.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right. Welcome back to the conversation. 20 minutes after the hour of 5 p.m. here on the Wednesday. Wednesday. <laughs> we started the show by reminding you it's the end of the month, and here I've just taken a day back. Don't you wish you could say that? Just, you know, I think I'll make today Tuesday instead and get all those extra days in the week. Yeah, never mind. Probably not a good idea. All right. Um, we've got a special guest that I want you to meet through the magic of radio. Give a listen. If you ask Stephanie Gamble how life was going a few years ago, she'd say she was on the right path. I was attending church. I was working in the kids' ministry at church. Um, went to Bible study once a week. Uh, things with my family were good. But then, sometime last year, she lost her footing. I found out that I was pregnant. I was confused and hurt and ashamed, and I, just, I wanted to terminate the pregnancy altogether. My greatest fear with telling my Bible study and uh, members at church it was rejection. It was very hard. And then there was her mom. Telling my mother, I just felt she'd be very upset with me. I 
felt the best thing for myself was to have an abortion. But as fear consumed her thoughts, something else took root in her heart, a desire to have her baby. Stephanie saw a video about real options, an organization she hadn't heard of before. I know it was a sign from God because I was so unsure. Even though I knew I wanted to go through with the pregnancy, I was still nervous. I went to Real Options and I had my first ultrasound and as soon as I heard the heartbeat, there was no turning back. When I heard the heartbeat, um, yeah, just made things real. So, and I just knew my life was about to change. She had made her decision. Real Options offered her counseling with a client advocate named Nellie who would walk alongside Stephanie throughout her pregnancy. We met once a week and it started with talking about the pregnancy and talking about my relationship with the Lord. When I finally got the courage to tell everyone, um, it was a process and I was really surprised on the response and the support and love that um, I received. No rejection, only encouragement from her boss, her family, and her church. In May, Emerson was born. Wow. When I first saw Emerson, <laughs> oh, it just, uh, love. <laughs> That's the first thing I felt was love. When I look at him, I now I understand how God loves us. Ping, bang, tap. Pack the ground. You do have a choice. It doesn't matter what friends or family say about you. God has a purpose for that little seed inside of you that's going to grow and has a purpose for you, too. Tickle, tickle. I know I'm going to make it. Hi. With God, I know I can make it. Certainly, Stephanie's story is not only encouraging, but has a happy ending. Sadly, though, that's not the case with every woman who finds herself in an unexpected, unplanned pregnancy. I'm struck by her observation, what really, in a sense, almost paralyzed her of fear that she felt initially confused, hurt, ashamed, and that her greatest fear was rejection, bringing not only hope and encouragement, but also an understanding that there is, therefore, no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. That's a big part of what Real Options provides women and has all over the Bay Area for over 30 years. Joining me now is Nellie Cayant, who is Patient Services Manager and had an opportunity to um, to work with and be there and encourage Stephanie. And uh, Nellie, I appreciate you being with us today. And boy, I would suspect that her story in many respects, while having a very happy ending, um, is, uh, is not unusual at all in that so many women are dealing with this idea of suddenly finding themselves in an unplanned pregnancy and their greatest fear is rejection. Um, many women think that they would never make that choice until they find themselves in that situation. It was such an honor meeting Stephanie and walking her with her through this uh, exciting but scary process of choosing life. 
I really admire Stephanie's strength, like so many other courageous women of the Bible, uh, such as Ruth or Rahab or even Mary, who were willing to sacrifice their comfort to do the right thing. Stephanie felt fearful, afraid that she would lose her job at a Christian daycare center. She was nervous about the reaction of her church and the people in her Bible study because she was a leader. She was also very anxious, uh, anticipating what her mom's response would be. You know, what strikes me, Nellie, is the fact that at a time like this, and, and it's true of, of uh, not only an unexpected pregnancy, but, but, but even when it's fully expected, that the support system is so vital, so important at so many levels. And yet here, a, as you're suggesting, Stephanie found herself in a very awkward position where she was fearful that that support system friends and family that had been with her and stood next to her would suddenly disappear if they found out that she was pregnant. Tell us about what that process looked like and kind of walking her through and, 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 and traveling that journey with her as she worked through some of these fears. Well, together we explored the book of Ruth in the Bible, reaffirming God's love and mercy and grace. Uh, each week we met to discuss how she would approach each fear, her mom, her work, and her church, and the Bible study group. Stephanie said, to her surprise, there was no judgment. What's encouraging here is not just the resources that are available through real options vis-a-vis that, that support system that we've been talking about, but there are also many practical things that real options makes available to women. Uh, spend a moment, if you would, uh, Nellie, and help our listeners understand the totality of some of those other services. For example, one of the key things as, uh, as medical centers, um, I understand that real options provides women with ultrasound services. How important is that? The ultrasounds are a powerful part, a tool that allows our patients to make an informed choice about their decision. It's a window inside the womb, and for every positive pregnancy test, we offer an ultrasound. Over 80% of our patients who have had an ultrasound choose life. With the support of their nurse and the advocate, uh, giving them their real options. Uh, Stephanie said, I heard the heartbeat, and there was no turning back. It just made things real, and I knew my life was about to change. So for Stephanie, it made the real difference. Yeah, that that became a, a critical turning point in her life, and I'm struck, too, in her testimony how that once um, once Emerson was put in her arms, she also says she had a better understanding of God's love, and I think that is that is so encouraging. And of course, uh, the support system, the ability to receive pregnancy tests, ultrasound, just a small portion of the services that are available to women through real options. What are some of the other services that women can take advantage of? Well, we try to offer, or we do offer, a very holistic approach, and we offer services. We offer uh, optimal health coaching, well-woman's care, prenatal care, 
material support. We offer STD testing uh, and treatment, and we offer abortion pill reversal. So those are the some of the services that we offer that um, will help uh, to benefit a woman. And for uh, when women do find themselves in a crisis, so they would think of real options as the answer instead of an abortion provider. So often one of the motivating factors in considering abortion is that almost paralyzing fear, the fear of rejection, the fear of the impact at so many levels of one's life, and feeling as if you have to walk it alone, go it alone, do it alone, um, is what oftentimes will force a woman, in a sense, to making a decision that otherwise, all things being equal, she might not necessarily make. When we take a brief time out, we're going to come back to more of our conversation. We'll be joined by a very special guest as well, and we'll spend a little time learning how that that cycle of fear and shame can be broken to provide encouragement and wholeness to women facing an unplanned pregnancy. I'm Craig Roberts. A brief time out. Back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And welcome back to the conversation we're visiting today with Nellie Cayenne. She is the patient services manager on behalf of Real Options. And now joining the conversation, a special guest, we have the CEO of Real Options, Valerie Hill. Valerie, welcome. Good to have you with us. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you. You know, I'm struck in our conversation with Nellie and hearing Stephanie's testimony that it seems as if issues of fear and shame appear to be two of the biggest obstacles that most women Mm -hmm. are confronted with when they suddenly find themselves confronting an unplanned pregnancy. Those are pretty powerful challenges to overcome. They really, really are. And Stephanie was blessed. I remember the day she walked in, and uh, she was very blessed to have a veteran uh, with a heart like Nellie's to meet with her and walk her through um, such a difficult time that turned into such a blessing and such a great uh, relationship with real options. But you have to remember that Stephanie's church was proactive. They were already engaged with real options on a regular basis. So they happened to be showing a video then the Saturday night uh, that she went to church uh, after a children's camp. And had in her mind, hadn't told anyone, any of her friends, uh, but knowing she was pregnant and thinking she was going to have to make an appointment at an abortion clinic the next week. And then she got to find out right in her church during the service about Real Options because we were recruiting volunteers, and they played a video recruiting volunteers for us. So it's really, really important that the church churches communicate with their members so that they know there is no condemnation and their church affirms life and wants to work with local mission partners like Real Options, because 65% of those who seek abortion in California self-identify as church-going Christians or Catholics. So they really do need to hear it from their pastors, from their Sunday school leaders, from their women's ministries, and college groups are key, since we know that you know, that's just a prime time that young people fall into uh, unplanned sex and unplanned pregnancy. And so that happens. 
and we don't want them to be judged or shamed. And Real Options is that safe place that they can come to. And, you know, we all recognize that it's difficult, it's challenging, it's awkward, it's embarrassing, it's all of that. But most importantly, it's a life. And to suddenly allow ourselves to succumb to the temptation for the easy way out because we feel overwhelmed by that sense of fear and shame, which are natural emotions. But sadly, Mm -hmm. sometimes those fears, that sense of shame is stoked because the church is afraid to talk about this, afraid to confront these issues. But they're real issues. They're a part of real life. And they have to be faced head on. I'm curious toward that degree. You mentioned that she was fortunate in that she had a church that was already sensitive to this, already engaged. How can the church overall get more plugged in to an organization like Real Options and, and understand the totality of how overcoming these issues of fear and shame can be a very important key, not only towards increasing the impact of the ministry of the local church, but also providing that sense of support and encouragement to women that are facing some tough challenges. Absolutely. Well, we encourage pastors all the time, and we have an annual event, if you will, in the body of Christ throughout the world, uh, especially in America. We have Sanctity of Human Life Sunday every January, and the Catholic Church celebrates Respect Life Month uh, in October. So we highlight the sanctity of human life, but we have to talk about how do we treat women who are facing unplanned pregnancy, because it's not even just young people. It's not just teenagers. It's not just college students. It's even married people because of the culture and the pressure of our culture who see abortion as an option. And if we don't talk about the truth in love, in a balance of truth and love from our pulpits, we're not going to send the right message. And that's where the fear comes in, and that's where the shame comes in. And we women often do use abortion to hide sin, not thinking about how it's going to affect them later. And you never hide sin with another sin. It, it just puts you in bondage. So uh, we really want to make sure leadership teams are informed and educated about how we can serve their church family. We want to encourage pastors and come alongside them. Uh, we've even helped equip some pastors that were courageous to to teach on the sanctity of life from their pulpits. And then come out and, and meet with us, schedule a tour with me, and we'll go to any one of our five clinics in the Bay Area and share how we're serving women, men, and students in our community and how the church can understand that we are their support system, and we're that safe place for the women to come. And we're not going to steer them away from the church. We're going. We're always going to bring it back home to what is their spiritual background, what is their moral code, how were they raised, or what church are they in, and what does the Scripture say, and how God loves them, how He loves their child, how He has a perfect plan and purpose for them if they can have the courage with our support 
to trust him. And, you know, so often uh, churches, pastors feel, well, this topic is so complicated, so involved, they feel overwhelmed that they're fearful to even address the issue from the pulpit because they don't want to say something wrong. And yet there's such a wonderful tool, such a wonderful resource available to churches that say, we recognize we're missing the mark. We recognize we're falling short, but we also recognize we could use a little bit of guidance. And the beautiful thing is that Real Options can provide that partnership uh, where churches can not only use this as a resource, if a woman within their congregation or somebody that they're ministering to comes to them in an unplanned pregnancy wanting to know what to do, but also as an educational tool to, to learn more about how to address this issue, most importantly surrounded by a message of reconciliation and hope. Now, I want to mention, too, That's in addition great. to this wonderful resource available through Real Options to uh, individuals and, of course, Bay Area churches, I also understand, Valerie, you've got a very important event coming up in, my goodness, barely uh, uh, five weeks here. Talk to us a bit about what's going to be happening on Saturday, November the 6th. Well, that is going to be a great celebration called Ignite Life, and it is our 40th anniversary this year, so we're very excited about it. And we took uh, the very uh, wonderful idea to tape three past patients, three mothers and their children, and Stephanie's actually one of them, who gave us updated videos. We're calling them our legacy stories. So you can come and see how those patients are doing today. Emerson is 10 years old. One of our other patients' daughters is going into college. And... So we've got three stories besides a very new patient testimony from our Redwood City Clinic and just some fantastic things happening. We're going to have different staff, different leaders on on the team sharing from our director of nursing, our director of education, our HOPE program director. So there's going to be so much uh, really in-depth, rich fellowship and uh, really education on who Real Options is, how they can partner with us, how they can join us to volunteer or be part of our prayer line, which is so important, how they can give to help us keep five clinics going in the Bay Area in 2022. We are very excited. You know, it's a generationally impactful ministry, and when you see not just those babies on those videos, but when you see them at 10 years old and you see them at 18 years old, now now you've got a young woman at 18 who's almost ready to have her children, and you see the generations, and that is God's grace and God's goodness from, from a very difficult situation, and we're just so blessed to be able to infuse courage and walk alongside these mothers like Nellie does and her team in East San Jose. We are just really blessed. And our nurses, they're doing a fabulous job. I'm, I'm very grateful to the Lord for the team he's given us in all of our clinics. And you know, Valerie, so often, and we see it in the news all the time, we're reminded that we seem to be surrounded by a culture of death and life being disposable and being cheap. Um, organizations like Real Options are working to diligently change that. In fact, the theme of this year's event, again on Saturday, November the 6th, is called Ignite Life 2021, Advance a Culture of Life. 
So this is yeah. putting that that culture of death narrative on its ear and saying, no, 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 no. We are here to stand up for and advance a culture of life. One of the speakers at this year's event, by the way, uh, no stranger to KFAX listeners, our dear friend Walter Hoy. Pastor Walter oh, Hoy yeah. is going to be sharing his story. It's going to be a fun time, and we want to encourage you to uh, stand with Real Options, find out more, and be a part of the uh, the special celebration, Ignite Life advance a culture of life again the date is saturday november the 6th and you can get complete details and reservations by simply going online to friendsofrealoptions.net that's friendsofrealoptions.net we'll get a chance to talk more about this in the coming days leading into the event so we'll uh, we'll share a reminder with you i want to thank our special guest valerie hill ceo of real options for dropping by along with Nelly Cayunt for spending a couple of minutes sharing Stephanie's story and most importantly sharing that story of encouragement reminding all of us that there is therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus and now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts if a Bible verse such as, oh, I don't know, pick one off the top of my head, God helps those who helps themselves. If that is one of your, your favorite Bible verses, then uh, this segment of the program is going to be of particular interest to you. Uh, you know which uh, apostle uh, wrote that, uh, that particular uh, well-known, well-known, uh, often, often cited by many believers. God helps those who help themselves. As that's the apostle, apostle Benjamin. Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> now, if all of a sudden you you just put your you, you carefully you didn't hit the brake too hard and you know end up having the guy behind you crash into you, if you're a little troubled to find out that that's not in the Bible but actually something that was said and written by Benjamin Franklin, uh, not whom to best of my knowledge was not an apostle, then uh, there may be some other misinterpretations of other verses that actually are in Scripture that may uh, come as a bit of surprise to you. Biblical. Illiteracy is one of the biggest issues challenging the church today. And, you know, I think not surprisingly for a lot of folks, they will happen across a verse. And believe me, this is done by lay and the so-called professionals in the pulpit as well. They will happen across a verse that seems to fit the application of the point that they are trying to make. And so they'll use it, whether or not it's in context, whether or not the application is actually appropriate or historically correct, oftentimes kind of falls by the wayside. Sadly, some Sometimes this leads to significant erroneous doctrinal teaching and, and hurts people, quite frankly. Well, a new book out that talks about this um, and sets apart a, a handful of key scriptures that are some of the most oft misquoted scriptures in, in the Bible, um, all contained inside the pages of a new book called The Most Misused Verses in the Bible, Surprising Ways God Word is Misunderstood. And joining us now is Dr. Eric Margerhoff. He is senior pastor at Clearwater Community Church and author of this new book. And uh, Eric, great to have you on the show tonight. Great to be with you, Craig. I've never been to San Francisco. I'd love to see it someday. Well, great. Well, we'd love to have you out here. And meanwhile, you're, you're out here through the magic of radio. That's right. So when we hear misapplication of some scripture, and, and you know, I, I don't want to give every believer the feeling that they're 
they're alone in the camp. A lot of folks will hear something like God helps those who help themselves and think, well, gee, that certainly sounds like it's Bible uh, when in fact it is not. And then sadly, it, it goes even deeper than that when people tend to sometimes, as you suggest in the book, kind of pick and choose uh, which scriptures they want or certain scriptures that seem to be appropriate, the kind of stuff that you just kind of pull off the top of your head, slip it into the situation that quite frankly, more often than not, has nothing to do with the situation at hand. Well, we uh, we have a tendency to look at situations, and we 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 have a scripture verse in our head that just seems to perfectly fit this circumstance, and we try to insert it in there in such a way that is foreign to the original author's intent. And um, and I think that you said it right on the head; you hit the nail on the head, so to speak, um, when you mentioned that this can hurt people. Um, people take things out of context and use it wrongly, even in wrong situations. And you can kind of use this uh, Bible we have as a club in a way that it was not meant to be used, and it dishonors God. And it can tend to lead people astray, too, can't it? I mean, we, we see entire doctrines that are sometimes created out of this. I, I am sometimes uh, equally fascinated and appalled by some of these so-called uh, Word of Faith teachers that are popular on television these days, uh, with a, certainly a subset of, of, of uh, the Christian community, uh, that will sometimes so stretch and distort scriptures and, and, and certain passages, all in an effort to try and prove their point. It's almost as if, uh, you know, Know, they they drew the conclusion, then went looking for a scripture to support it instead of it the other way around. Well, this is how the fall of humankind uh, came about. Was uh, even in the first chapter of my book, I talk about how the very first quoting of God's word was a misquote from the serpent mm-hmm. in the Garden Garden of Eden, and so it was a, a slight twist, you know, to what God really did say. And uh, that's how it began. And so that you saw how that path led us down to where we are in a sinful world that we live in today. So this is going to happen quite often in those cults and other types of religions that are going to construct a system, a humanistic system, mind you, based on verses that they pulled out of context, subtracted from, added to. You, know, you can just do all kinds of damage that way, and I even refer to how Hitler used Scripture uh, back in his day to paint a picture of the whole Jewish race uh, as a brood of vipers. Of course, we know Jesus was talking directly to the Pharisees, the religious elite of his day that were corrupt, but yet Hitler robbed that out of its context and applied it to the entire Jewish people. Which, and you can see where that led us. We know that there are certainly those examples of, of extremes, and, sure. and oftentimes uh, taken out of content with absolute ill intent from the very get-go. I mean, I, we can certainly argue that the serpent in the garden, in the whole hath God said questioning, uh, certainly went into this out of ill intent. But within the broader Christian community to these days, how much of this really is perhaps less about intentionally distorting Scripture as opposed to maybe kind of being of the stuff that, uh, for want of a better maybe uh, example, uh, a doctor would be like a, a urban legend. In other words, where certain passages get so often misquoted that it kind of becomes now a part of the new Christian lexicon, and we don't really realize that you know our favorite verse that we think means this, in fact, all along has never meant that. Well, yeah, for example, like where two or three are gathered, you know, we often hear that at prayer meetings, but that's actually about the context of church discipline in Matthew 18. And it's God's promise to be with them when the church has to take a judicial decision about sin. 
And so when we look at that closer in its context, wow, it really enlightens us. But I want to just go back to what you said at the very beginning of that uh, last statement there, is that I believe that, that all of us at times um, have unwittingly, unknowingly perhaps, without any ill intent at all, have misused Scripture. I know I have. Um, I think that uh, many of us could say that, you know what, we didn't realize that at the time, but that Scripture now means something different than what we originally thought it did. And I think we can do that innocently. But what this book is challenging us to do is to take a really close look at some of our favorite verses and and look to see if indeed we are using them correctly. Because if we do use them correctly, number one, it's going to give us a, a right view of God and who He is. It's going to expand our view of God. And then secondly, it's going to just fill us with rich, deep truths that we could apply to our life in a way that that really brings blessing and life to us. And it kind of went into our catechism teaches to now a lot of the the feel-good preachers, I'll call them, kind of, uh, you know, conclude with, in my opinion. So it it, it seems as if there's a a little bit of a slippery slope. So is is this part of a bigger issue going on here? Absolutely. I think that we are are in one of the most biblically illiterate um, cultures that we've had here in America ever since this country has began. And and I believe that uh, it's important for us to be preaching and teaching the Word of God and not just tickling, itching ears that just want to hear certain things said to them. Um, I think we need to really return back to the idea of solid biblical study where we actually study this Bible and get into it and unpack it and go through it verse by verse, book by book, and refer to other books as we study and and kind of do an inductive study method. Other methods are out there, I'm sure. You know, sitting under expository preaching, I think, is another way of creating a culture in a church where the Word of God is revered and understood and submitted to by God's people. And when you create that kind of culture, boy, you're talking about an altogether different level of depth than what you're seeing in many places today. This is the viewpoint or the approach when it comes to the study and application of Scripture as we see in Second Timothy uh, 2 and following, that we are to rightly divide the word of truth. Sad thing is we don't really know what that means. We're going to talk a bit more about that. Even work through a couple of passages that you're going to think, oh, that, that's my life verse, and maybe get a whole new take on the matter. Uh, with us today is Dr. Eric Bargerhoff. He is the author of a new book called The Most Misused Verses in the Bible, Surprising Ways That God's Word is Misunderstood. We'll come back to more of the conversation as Lifeline continues.